Please turn with me once more in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter number 1. Our text for this morning's message is the first seven verses of Philippians chapter 1, from verses 1 down to verse number 7, beginning with Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, all the way down to verse number 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Amen. And our title for this morning's message is this, Thankful for the gospel, thankful for the gospel. Today, in the church of our day, if you organized a conference, and it was a Bible conference, and the theme was this, future prophecy. Or perhaps it was another topic, of when the Lord might return. Do you think it might be a popular conference? Or perhaps the theme is what we're going to be looking at this morning, the gospel message. Which conference do you think would be more popular? I think you know the answer. If you had prophecy or a lot of other topics, and they're important in their own way, It would be far more popular than the gospel message itself. I think, friends, we see that we can be so attracted to so many things. Yes, they're important, but they may seem exciting, spectacular, important, but they don't come close often to the importance of the gospel message itself and we can forget how truly spectacular important and wonderful the gospel message is now as we've said these things are important we must study all of our bibles all the themes that are brought out in the scriptures from genesis to revelation but if i have one regret from my early christian walk is that I didn't spend enough time thinking about the gospel message. So often we can think about the gospel, that is just something you do when you first get saved, and then you move on to deeper and more important things. Well, friends, you never move on from studying about the gospel message. We will never outgrow our need of learning about the gospel message, that good news, the good tidings which Jesus Christ declared, which was declared by the prophets of old, which was declared indeed from the New Testament era onwards. This is the most glorious message of all, the one we will marvel at 
forever. The one we need today. If there's going to be revival in our day. If there's going to be revival in the north of England, in the south of England, in Wales, in Scotland, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. The church has to be gripped with a love for this message. This wonderful message to be in awe of this message. To be thankful that the message, yes, exists. But more than that, that we have loved this message by grace and by grace alone. Friends, we can be so neglectful of the most wonderful, precious gifts we've been given. So we have to see how important the gospel message is. Friend, are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful for the glorious truth declared? Are you thankful for that light that shineth in a dark place, pointing toward Jesus Christ? Are you thankful to God for that gospel message? Or are you distracted, like so many in our day? Yes, there are other things that are important. Of course there are. And yes, we must grow in holiness that we have been changed. But we must never leave behind the gospel. Friends, you must spend more and more time thinking about the gospel. Thanking God for the gospel. Seeing the beauty and the depth, the life The freedom that it gives. The gospel message is the freedom. From slavery to sin and to death. In our letter that we're looking at here this morning. Philippians chapter number 1. Paul the apostle is writing from prison. Now remember what was Paul doing at one point in his life? Dragging Christians to prison. And now he's writing from his bonds and he's writing with joy. Why? Why is he writing with this joy? And this this epistle is often referred to as the epistle of joy. It might seem like a strange thing to write an epistle of joy, a letter of joy from bondage, from prison. How could he write such a thing? Well, because he was thankful. For the gospel message. Our first point that we're going to look at here this morning is this. Thankful for the church. Thankful for the church. Our first three verses of this text. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Which are at Philippi. With the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And who is the you Paul is speaking of? He's speaking to a very, yes, a very specific you, a very specific group of people. He is thankful for the church in Philippi, isn't he? He's thankful for the people that have been changed and brought into 
that church that exists there. In verse number one, it says Paul and Timotheus, they're both, they recognize themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Servants, lowly servants of Jesus Christ. In the West, we don't really have a concept of that. We don't really even have servants. But that is the lowest level. You're happy to do all the tasks that your master asks you to do. And as servants of Jesus Christ, they're writing to who? The saints. The saints in Christ Jesus. Now what does saint mean? Now that word can be used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes people will think it just means I'm a good person. And sometimes people will say to you, I'm no saint. Which can often mean they have lived a life that is not something to be proud of. And they, they have done something in the past. You've lived per- poorly. But which standard is being spoken about here? Is it the standard of man? It's God's standard, isn't it? Saints. Saints in Christ Jesus. Saint literally means holy one. Holy one. And even that word holy, we often can misunderstand that word. It means those set apart. Those separated ones. In holiness. In Jesus Christ declared to be holy, declared to be without sin. He's writing to those people who have been declared righteous, holy, and just in Jesus Christ. He's writing to all these holy ones. How can they be saints? How can you be a saint? It's not. A declaration by the Pope in Rome, is it? Well, the Pope or someone else will say, oh, this person's a saint and declare it to be so. But it is a declaration by God before the court of heaven that this person is holy. And how can they know? Because they've trusted in Jesus Christ. Their sins have been washed clean. This is the church. This is the church that is trusted in Jesus Christ and has forgiveness of sins. That's what a saint is. Friend, is that you? If that is you, you are a saint. You might think, oh, I'm not a saint. That seems like a very strange thing to say to me. But in Jesus Christ, you are holy. Not because of yourself. You don't have, any, you don't have enough righteousness. What you do is but filthy rags before the throne room of heaven your works are not enough his are his are complete his suffering is over and he has kept the law perfectly in your place and that is why you can be declared a saint holy one so Paul is writing to those in Christ he's writing to the church he's writing to those under as we see here in verse 1 With the bishops and deacons. With the bishops and deacons. In the church, there are really only two offices. We have deacons 
And what we have here is bishops. And bishops, we may think of uh, a person with a strange hat or something like that. It's nothing to do with that. Bishop simply means this, overseer. Overseer. And a bishop is really just another phrase or overseer for a pastor. And if you look throughout the New Testament, and you look at the word, the description of pastor or shepherd, and you look at the other phrases that are used, or elder, you see, oh, it's really talking about the same office. This is the ones. These are either the, the preaching elder, and also the, the ruling elders. These are pastors. And then there's deacons who also help out with the temporal matters, with the poor and the needy in the church. So this is writing to a visible church. This is writing to a visible expression of the church. Philippi, they are together under the leadership of the church, professing the true faith. Because without the true faith, well, the gospel, that's not a church. Philippi is a church because the gospel is being preached there. As soon as that stops, it's no longer a true church. Verse number three, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And why are they in such a position that they are blessed to be part of the church? Because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. And once the gospel is ever lost, and it has happened to many churches, it even talks about in chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, that even true churches are subject to mixture and error. There's no perfect church in this world. But some of them degenerate to such a point that they become synagogues of Satan. What happens? The gospel is lost no longer preached, no longer confessed, no longer believed. Maybe even declared anathema or accursed. That is the true church. And Paul is thankful for the church. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So I ask you here this morning, are you thankful for the church? Yes, the, the visible expression of the church in this world. Believers, whether they go to this church or anywhere else. Are you thankful for the church? Where the gospel is preached. The sacraments are administered. Are you thankful for this church? Through the preaching of the gospel, dear friends, you are here. The Lord has brought you into fellowship with other believers. Are you thankful for the church? Are you thankful for, yes, imperfect? Absolutely. But the leadership that God has placed over you. See, we have lots to be thankful for, don't we? Friends, church family, those who look over or guide our souls and help us along our journey toward our heavenly home. You see, we can, if we forget these things, what happens? We begin to what? Grumble. We begin to complain. We begin to speak like the children of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. 
And they complain and they grumble. Even though the Lord was providing manna from heaven, they, they complained. And they forgot the blessings that they had. They forgot the deliverance. Yes, it was difficult, but they forgot the deliverance from Egypt and from bondage. Paul was extremely grateful for the Philippians he was writing to. And they were there, part of that church, because of the gospel. Are you? What does it say in Philippians 2, verse 14? In Philippians 2, and verse 14, says this, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. This is not easy for any of us. And we can either often be thankful for the church and our brothers and sisters of Christ around us. Or we can begin to grumble and complain and to not appreciate what the Lord has given us through the gospel message. The Lord has given us a, a huge worldwide family. Have you ever gone traveling somewhere? And you, you don't know who this person is. You don't know their background. But they're a believer in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden you can have the longest conversation with them. You may not even have the same level of English or the same level of language. But you share that common bond. You're part of the one church. I remember a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a minister. And whenever he'd refer his own church he would always call them a church family and I always remember the tenderness to which he speaks he still in the ministry speaks of his church church family friends that's what we are a family and that we speak about family in loving terms do we thank our God for this church number two thankful for the change so we've looked at thankful for the church now number two we're going to look at thankful for the change verses three to six i thank my god upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thankful for the change. Something has happened to these people. Something has happened to these people. This is Philippi. This is part of what was called at one time Macedonia. It's kind of north Greece today. But this is a church that was set up. You see it in the book of Acts. Paul's second missionary journey. This is a fairly new church. And they've been changed. Lives have been changed. And they've gone from fellowship with death and hell. And misery and slavery to the idolatry that they once served. To now being in fellowship with life and peace and the joy. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father. At verse 2. That's what's been changed. That's where the fellowship is. No longer fellowship with misery. But fellowship with joy. 
Paul was thankful for the change. And I, and I bet if you know someone, if you know people, you know what they were like years ago. You know the addictions maybe that they faced or whatever. They, and then you see them today. And they're completely different. And they're filled with such joy and peace that passes all understanding. And you're so thankful for the change. Often they'll forget how much they've grown. That believer in Jesus Christ. And you'll often have to remind them of how much they have changed over the years. They may be frustrated with their lack of progress, perhaps. But Paul is thankful for the change. As I bet you are for the change in other believers in Jesus Christ. But are we thankful for the change that's even happened in our own lives? Yes, of course, we would love to be further along. We would love to be a further step or two ahead. Of course we would. And we're always, in many senses, frustrated by our lack of progress. But it's often other people will see how much we've grown. Far more than we will see ourselves. Fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Fellowship is a, it can be defined as a close association of a shared interest. Laboring together. I'll put it another way. When you suffer, we suffer together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. We don't do so as isolated islands alone. I love going to, when I go to different churches and there's times of fellowship and, and we share testimonies and various different things. I absolutely love that. But I think we're always in danger of mistaking a cup of tea with fellowship. Fellowship is sharing. It is sharing our lives together. We share a common bond. And it's wonderful because at times of fellowship, we share what's going on in your spiritual walk. You may talk about a text you're studying and how the Lord has used that to help you in times of difficult distress. Or you may ask for prayer. Someone's sick. These are all parts of fellowship in the Lord. We must share together as Christians. And so the, the great change that has happened, the great change that has taken place, we've been brought into this fellowship one with another. Have you all been changed? Have you here this morning been changed from fellowship with death and hell. And having a common interest with the world. To now having a common interest. Sharing that love of Jesus Christ. With the church. I cannot presume. Nor is it biblical to presume. That all who come under the sound of the gospel message. Are converted. This tears among the wheat, the scriptures tells us. Not all those who may, even in the outward sense, look to all intents and purposes like they're converted, may not be. One big example in the scriptures is Judas. No one knew that Judas was not converted. We know now because the scripture tells us. Only the Lord knew. Friend, have you been changed? And are you still 
being changed. It's not like you're trying to remember back 10 years ago. Was there a big change in my life then? Maybe you do remember that. But the question is, are you continuing to be changed? Does the word of God continue to change you? So that you're a different person from where you were five years ago, six years ago. It can be, for some people, there can be dramatic change. For some people, it's a lot more gradual and more difficult to see and perceive. But whatever the case may be, the power of God changes you. It will change your behavior. It will change how you think. It will change who you like to spend time with. Who do you like to spend time with? Who are your friends? I'm sure you will have some friends in the world. But I'm sure as a believer in Jesus Christ, the most refreshing time is when you're with other believers in Jesus Christ. When you can share of that common bond in Jesus Christ. It's a reason for joy. And Paul writes of joy. Verse 4 of our text. Always in every prayer of mine for you. All making request with joy. And because you share that same bond. You share the same God. You trust in the same God. Paul is thankful for them. He's in every prayer making a request with joy. And again, remind yourselves, friends, he's in prison. He's in bonds. And if you read through this letter, you'll see that you probably wonder how was he so upbeat? Because his eyes were fixed upon the end. Now he's in a prison. And the prisons in those days, you're wondering if you're going to see another day. You're wondering, you're thinking about death. And Paul speaks about death in this letter. It's it's an epistle of joy, but it's also a very sobering epistle. For me, it says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's wrestling through, do I want to be with the Lord in heaven, or do I want to continue here? He's at that point. But Paul has been changed by the gospel. He's been changed. Why? Because the Lord has set his love upon him. Not because Paul is any better than anyone else. But because the Lord set his love upon him. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse number 7. Beginning in verse number 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Verse number 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Verse number 8 tells us why. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see what is being said here. The Lord did not set his love upon them, the people of Israel, 
because they were more impressive outwardly. They weren't. They were fewest of all people. There was nothing outwardly impressive about them. But why did he set his love upon them? Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you. Why did he choose you? Because he loved you. With an everlasting love before the foundation of the world. A love which shows you and a message that we rejoice in today. It's a reason for joy. And, and Paul is seeing all these things. The Lord has enlightened his understanding so no longer is he persecuting the church as he once did. Now he finds joy in the church. He finds joy in their change. He finds joy in their savior. Work of change. And Paul's also confident that whatever change has already happened to the believer, it will continue. Verse number six in our text. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The change continues. The change on goals. Again, I, I point out that it's not just has there been one big dramatic change in your past. You may listen to testimonies. Well, my testimony is not like that. You may think to yourself and you listen to someone else give their testimony. The question is not, was there a big change in the past? The question is, does that change continue on? Because the Spirit of God continues to change you and conform you to the image of Christ. Now, our walk with Christ is not a continual, ongoing improvement. Often, there'll be setbacks. <coughs> Often, there'll be painful lessons to learn as you study through the scriptures. There will be mistakes you will make and that you will learn from by the grace of God. Why do we make mistakes? Because we're still sinners. Throughout all this change, throughout all this process, we are still sinners. And we must never forget that. First John chapter 1. First John and chapter 1. And verses 8, 9, and 10. If ye say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we are a person who comes to the point where says, I'm not, a, I'm not a sinner. Well, friend, you're not a Christian. The Christian sees that they are a sinner. That there's much change Yet to come, being confident of this very thing, that he, and who is the he that is Jesus Christ, hath begun a good work in you, and that is a good work, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will perform it until the end of time, until the day of the Lord, spoken about in many different passages in the Old Testament, spoken about indeed in the scriptures in the New Testament as well. Thankful for the change. Number three now. Thankful for the charity. The charity. 
number three. But charity here I mean an old word for love. For love. It can mean giving to the poor, sure. But it means more than this. As one older dictionary put it, love, benevolence, goodwill, that disposition of the heart which includes men to think favorably of their fellow man and to do them good. And this is what we share in this fellowship. There's been a change, but there's also among them, not just a change, but a love, a love, uh, a seeking, a favorability, a looking toward other image bearers of God, a love toward each other. A change has come about. And the gospel, that glorious message, when we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we become a more loving people. We become a people who seek, yes, within the church, but outside of the church as well. It changes how we live. It changes how we love and live toward God, and it changes how we live and love toward our neighbor as ourselves. That is the law of God. That is love. You know, you'll hear people often make all sorts of definitions about love, and love becomes a mere feeling. Love just becomes doing whatever you like to do. With no definition other than man's desire. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 13. And verse 4 to verse 6. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Rejoiceth in the truth. And as we think about charity and a love shared one toward another, It's not just about giving money. Often it can be about giving our time. Our prayers. Doing things that are not convenient. There are areas you're all gifted at. There are areas that you are blessed. The Lord has blessed you. And you'll enjoy serving in ministry. But often the area will be the biggest challenge for any believer in Jesus Christ is doing, is doing the things that are not convenient. The things that we have to grow in. The things that we are fall short in. The things that we struggle at. But the Lord is challenging us to grow and to love Him. There are things that we are better at than others. And there's things we struggle at. But we share this love toward another. And Paul... We see in Paul a great change in that love. Paul goes from harassing the church to loving the church. He goes from harassing the church into speaking about it this way. Because I have you in my heart, verse 7. I have you in my heart. There's a deep love and affection that Paul is showing and demonstrating in this letter. 
What a change in love. What a change in character. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse number 7. And at the end of verse number 7 he says, Ye are all, ye all are partakers of my grace. There is a love and a care and a tenderness to which he is talking about his thankfulness for the gospel. His, his thankfulness for the love which exists. And I say all this for this. Yes, doctrine is vitally important. But as Lloyd-Jones once put it, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine. And the other half telling them that doctrine is not enough. And what Lloyd-Jones meant was this. Yes, do not ever think that doctrine is not important. It is. It is vitally important. But we need warmth. That love which exists, which ought to exist within the church, within homes. And even though the world may come and visit our churches and they may not understand why we are the way we are, they may think us strange, they often think we will, but may they also at the same time experience something that is different to anywhere else in the world. May they not just come out of, well, they knew a lot of things. Often what they'll remember is the warmth that they experienced. One of the great, some, the churches I remember most visiting, friends, are not the most well-informed churches. And I praise God for that part of their Christian walk. But they've read books and other things. Praise God for that. I don't want to diminish that at all. But it's the warm churches. They may not know everything. But they love and sacrifice greatly for their brothers and sisters in Christ. A benevolent love. And Paul has that for the believers. And he's encouraged. He's encouraged by them. He has confidence in them. Because he sees this. In their midst. And finally our fourth point. And our final point is this. Thankful for the Christ. So we're th thankful for the church. The change. The charity. And finally number four. Thankful for the Christ. So to be thankful for the church and for the change and for the charity that takes place and these blessings from the gospel. And we ought to be thankful for these. We ought to never ever forget the person in and through whom they come. There's a big, big danger, isn't there? That we, we're thankful for all the blessings we get from Christ, but we're not really thankful to Him. Paul is thankful for Christ. He says in verse 1. To the saints in Christ Jesus. He also says how, he's, how him and Timotheus. Timothy. Are the servants of Jesus Christ. They love this Christ. The anointed one. Verse 2. Grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father. From the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the Lord Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the anointed one, who is that King of kings and Lord of lords. In the Old Testament, you'll see all these kings who have had their, their heads anointed with oil, pointing toward this ultimate king who would come, this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's through him that grace comes. 
It's through Him that mercy comes. It's through Him that there's forgiveness. So when we hear the gospel message, when we're thankful for the gospel message, we're really thankful, not just for a means. Here's how we don't go to hell. Here's how we can go to heaven. It's more than just a mere means. It's setting Christ before you. How can you know Him? How can you have fellowship with Him? How can you lay hold upon Him? See, the gospel message is really presenting Christ before you. And to be thankful for the gospel is to be thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 once again, being confident of this very thing. That he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's thankful for him. What will happen? Now, for the believer in Jesus Christ, you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. The Lord has taken away your sin debt. But not only that, He has clothed you in righteousness. He has placed royal robes around you. Now, as we've seen in this letter, Paul suffers. Paul suffers. It says in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest. My bonds. And he repeats this a number of times in this letter. My bonds. Paul was suffering, but at that point, Jesus had suffered and his suffering was finished. His suffering was over. The just for the unjust. And he could be joyful in his suffering because of the one whose suffering was finished. He's also rejoicing as well in the defense and confirmation of the gospel in verse number 7. That they too believe on the same Christ we must not forget, in the midst of all these things we've spoken about here this evening, in the midst of speaking about the gospel message, of being thankful for forgiveness, of being thankful for the change that has happened in our lives, being thankful for the church we're a member of, and all these things, we must never forget the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who is altogether lovely. It is in Him and through Him and to Him be all the glory. See, you may think, well, can there be such a thing as a Christless Christianity? And friends, many churches around the world, you'll go there and they'll speak about all sorts of things about theology. But Jesus is missing Himself. There's no real love for Him. See, in heaven, we're going to see him. Here we see him by faith alone. But in heaven, we will see him. For the eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, the things which he hath prepared for them. I love him. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when we are in eternity, having suffered that all we will suffer through it in this world, all the affliction, all the disappointments, all the challenges, all the anxiety and the worries that you face today, when, you, when those sufferings and afflictions are over, you'll get to behold the face of Jesus Christ and the radiant beauty that is revealed in his Son. We struggle to even grasp the tiniest part of how wonderful that will be. Is there affliction? Yes. Paul suffered affliction in this letter. You, no doubt, suffer affliction. That may be persecution for the gospel's sake at your work. That may cost you promotion in your job. It may cost you friends. It may even cost you your own family. But there may be other afflictions in this world. We live in a fallen world. There's illnesses, disappointments, all sorts of things. But in all these things that we suffer, when we look at the gospel, we see that we do not deserve the least of the Lord's mercies. We're given something we don't deserve in Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, it's not that he's distant and uncaring toward our suffering. We have a sympathetic high priest who endured. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that wonderful, friends? His suffering is over. He suffered for sin that was not his own. The just for the unjust. We suffer in this world, but we deserve far worse. And yet he still is sympathetic toward us. Friends, are you thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a believer? Right here today, the Sabbath morning. Are you a believer? Are you thankful for the gospel message? Are you thankful that he has saved you and rescued you? Yes, you may be going through all sorts of things that maybe all sorts of other people don't know that are happening in your life. All sorts of difficulties and all sorts of things. You may have lost sleep all night coming before you came to this worship service. But are you saved? Have you been saved from the wrath to come? Friends, if you have been, in and through Jesus Christ, you have much to be thankful for. Thankful for the gospel. Thankful for the church. Thankful for the change that has happened in your life. Thankful for the love that we experience one toward another. And thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let us sing praise to God. Let us turn.